In this episode, I sit down with Richard Bryan, who is a keynote speaker, executive coach, and author. Richard, at the age of 28, became the CEO of a $120 million company, which was six months away from bankruptcy. I wanted to have Richard on to the podcast to talk about what it means to be a high performer and how to implement these high performing strategies into your life. He gives us some book recommendations. We talk about mentorship versus coaching and what is his definition of success. Whether you're a business person, entrepreneur, or just interested in performing at your best, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast today. I am honored to be sitting down with my friend, Richard Bryan, and I want to start off by asking you, Richard, because I I could not describe it to someone if they asked me, can you tell me what it is that you do for your career? Good question. Uh, That's something my kids ask me all the time. So, uh, uh, no, I have um a bit of a portfolio of things so i have a commercial real estate business in based in the uk and we invest in and develop commercial real estate and then um i have a speaking and consulting business here in the us and so i do keynote speaking about 30 times a year and then i also do some consulting um and coach executive coaching And then I also do some um, work with company boards. So I'm an advisor for several companies on their board. Amazing. And you've also written a book, at least one that I know of. I've written two, yeah. So one is called uh, Being Frank. And that was about what I learned from my mentor, Frank, uh, when we did a turnaround on my family's business. And then another one, which is uh, about succession planning called Handing Over the Reins, a concise guide to succession planning, which is kind of one of those things for family owned and privately owned businesses that's important, but not urgent. So a lot of people just don't give it enough time. Oh, interesting. So the reason that I initially wanted to have Richard on the podcast is because um, I work a lot with high-performing people. I am a high-performance coach. And when I was first introduced to this term of high-performer, I was reading a book by Brendan Burchard, High Performance Habits. And as I was reading this book or listening to it, actually, Richard is, is the person that came into mind as the archetype of what it is to be a high-performer. Because as far as I can tell, um, you are great at running your business, doing all of your consulting work, all that you do. I, I've, I know that you prioritize your, your <clears throat> health and your fitness. And I also know that your family is important to you because I see you spending time with them and going on vacations. And I, I know that's hard for a lot of people, and I'm sure it's not perfect for you all the time. But how do you, how do you make it, those three things work together? Um, I mean, I think as we were just talking about before we got on the call, you know, it's a, it's a constant 
balancing act. And um, I think it's just being clear on what your priorities are to start with and being self-aware. And um, I think for me, that's something that's come uh, come with age. I've just turned 50. So, uh, so yeah, so that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, family is very important to me. Um, so is my business, um, so is my health and fitness. And it, it's a constant sort of juggling between those to make sure that I'm giving them all enough uh, priority. What, like, how do you make that work? Like, what does that look like? What sort of practices do you have or checks and balances? Um, well, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I set goals, um, but I also have a, um, I have a, a morning routine that's quite important to me. And then I have a sort of monthly check-in where I'll spend some time reviewing the last month and thinking about the next month and, you know, just seeing am I on track with my sort of bigger goals for the year? And if not, I make some adjustments. But I, I think in terms of um, high performance is that the morning routine's where it starts. Would you mind sharing what that looks yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite simple. I do, uh, uh, I get up, I, I hydrate. So I'll have a, a glass of water. Um, then I'll do 20 minutes meditation. And that's either a guided meditation with a like headspace or something like that. Or I'll just play some music and put a timer on just with my headphones. So I'll do 20 minutes of meditation. Uh, then I'll do 10 minutes of uh, stretching or yoga, you know, because you've seen me doing yoga, Kylie, so you know I need all that help I can get there. And uh, and then then I have breakfast and uh, quick breakfast, so try and have a healthy breakfast. And then um, I spend 50 minutes, don't ask me why it's 50 minutes, but it just seems to be what works for me. 50 minutes working on um, something that's important but not urgent. So either one of my business priorities that I want to make sure that I'm spending some time working on or um, self-improvement, self-development of some kind. It might be, I might, some mornings I'll just read for 50 minutes and, and make some notes on a book or an article or whatever. And, or I might, you know, sometimes there's, I might want to write a blog, but normally I'll do that later. That sort of comes into the working day. So typically it's something that I wouldn't normally do if I just jumped into my working day. And so only after that do I, um, do I sort of actually jump into emails because I find if I, my old routine used to be get up in the morning, turn my phone on scan through my emails while I was still in bed you know sort of and and before I know it I'm into other people's problems and that just was I was into reactive mode straight away and so I found that doing this which is about the first hour and a half of the morning you know I've you know typically for me it's from six to seven thirty um and then by eight o'clock I'm actually working on normal stuff doing emails etc but I try to delay that for the first hour and a half of the morning and I find that it's amazing the difference that makes to me. When did you start to make the shift from starting your day in reactive mode um, into this fabulous morning routine? 
A few years ago, really. I mean, when I worked with uh, Frank, when we were doing the turnaround of my uh, family's business, which was losing a lot of money when I joined it, um, he, I used to start the day doing, you know, uh, actual physical mail and email. And we stopped doing that. And we used to go and walk about the business and visit with customers and staff for the first hour of the day instead, which just created a lot more value. And so I realized then that actually email was probably not the most productive way for me to start my day. And, and then I tried to do it just once or twice a day, once in the morning at some point, and once again in the afternoon, rather than dipping in it the whole time. Now, when I'm traveling, I find that I tend to do it more just because I'm, I'm bored or I'm sat in an airport or whatever. Um, so I'll do it as I go. But typically, I try and stick to that. I'll do my emails mid-morning, and then I'll do them again sort of later on in the afternoon. Um, but so I suppose with this particular routine, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Okay. Um, do you maintain it when you travel? How, like, what percentage would you say you travel throughout the year? Um, I do probably 70 days a year on the road for work and then, um, then vacation. So I, yeah, I'm away probably a hundred plus days a year. Okay. So about a third. Yeah. Wow. So do you maintain, I know you said you dip into email a little bit more frequently, but for the most part, are you able to maintain this routine while on the road? So the changes I'll make, I'll do the meditation and the stretching and I will not do the hour so much because I'm on the road for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I tend to do that, have breakfast and go and do whatever I'm doing. And if I'm speaking, I will add in um, I'll probably drop the stretching and go straight from meditation to do like a 30 minute workout. Mm -hmm. And I'll do a combination of sort of cardio and body weight stuff typically, cause I can do that anywhere. And, um, and that helps me sort of manage my nervous energy as well. Um, you know, and, uh, and I just, find that work works really well for me. So if I'm speaking, I'll do that workout. Otherwise, um, I typically don't do the hour when I'm on the road because I just find it hard to be as focused, really. Absolutely. So yeah. this, is, this is one of the really big things because when I work with um, entrepreneurs or people who own their own businesses or even people who, maybe they don't do those things, but they think in order to excel in one area of their life, they have to sacrifice that time when it comes to their, their fitness um, not so much their nutrition, but they have a hard time squeezing out that time. But you seem to make that a priority for yourself. Uh, yeah, it always has been, actually. And, uh, you know, I had a choice when I was doing the business turnaround years ago. I had a choice. I was under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And it was either, at the end of the day, go to the pub or go to the gym and thankfully I chose the gym and I did some triathlons and things like that to to just take my mind off of work and give me another focus and the training was so good for me and so I've always kind of kept it as a priority and, I, and another thing that made an impact on me was I had to watch my father suffering you know he was diabetic he had his leg amputated. He, he was, oh, he was in a terrible state and he just hadn't looked after himself. And 
I, I spent a lot of time going in and out of hospital seeing that and that made a big Im impact on me. I'm like, I do not want to be like that. Yeah, it, that's a really powerful catalyst, seeing what you don't want to happen. Yeah, definitely. Now, and, you, and the, the oh, positive bit is I do want to be able to ski and golf and be active with my kids and hopefully with their kids, you know? So was he going through that at the end or was that something that you witnessed like over time, the, the diabetic part and everything? It was kind of ongoing and it was a combination of poor diet, lack of exercise. And this was a guy who was a very talented athlete in his younger years, you know? So it was, it was sad to watch and, um, you know, really sad. And I saw what my mother had to deal with as well. And I was like, wow. I do not, I just don't want anything to do with that. So I've always, always tried to take care of myself. Oh, that's so wonderful. Now, is it just, do you have other siblings? I have a sister, yeah. Was she involved at all in the succession of the business? Not really. She was, she'd already, um, her husband was in the army and they lived abroad. And so she, she'd already kind of left. Okay. Um, so she, you know, she still witnessed what I saw with my dad, which was was hard to watch. I mean, um, yeah, it was tough. Yeah. When did you move to the states? Uh, ten years ago, this month. So, tenth uh, of April, two thousand ten. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So we met shortly thereafter. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my gosh! This is so fabulous. Yeah. Now, when you moved, had the transition, has your family's business been transitioned or were you still working with that? So we still, I still own it. I mean, so okay. it used to be car and truck dealerships, um, multiple locations, a lot of people. And um, so we had 360 people and about $120 million a year in sales. So it's quite a big business. Mm -hmm. And um, we sold that in early 2008. And then in 2009, I started the commercial real estate business. But I went from 360 people to like five. So it was a completely different ball game and um, much slower moving in terms of, you know, not a retail business. And, um, you know, I can do it from anywhere, really. I have a great team in the UK. Uh, we have a few more people now, but um, yeah, so I, I, I basically work from home. So we had just transitioned when we moved here and we came here for what was supposed to be like a sabbatical so that my kids could spend some time with their grandparents and my, my wife with her parents. And um, yeah, we ended up staying. We liked it so much. So, uh, so there you go. That was 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Now, so I like to joke that I used to have two English kids with an American mum. Now I've got two American kids with an English dad. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so how is it managing five people? Or are you, are you involved in the day-to-day? -day? What does that look like for you? Uh, yeah, so I'll have, um, I'll have a, a Zoom call on a Monday with my assistant we make a plan for the week and uh, and then it's sort of on an as needs basis really that I'll drop into either online meetings, phone calls or and then the emails just as they're, they're coming in. But the nice thing is you can make the time difference work for you because they're seven hours ahead. So if I'm doing emails here in the afternoon, 
or early evening and I know they'll get them first thing in the morning so you know you just have to get used to to working with a different time zone but but if you've got the right people um, it's the same with all business I think if you've got the right people in the right places and you trust them and they use their initiative then then it's it's great so let's talk about that for a second like finding the right people yeah because I know I'm in my that part of my <clears throat> business where I have employees now and it matters <laughs> I've been fortunate so far but what are, what advice do you have for finding the right people well, I think for me, it's a case of um, not just looking at their, <clears throat> not just looking at their experience, but looking for people that have the right attitude and transferable skills. And because, you know, quite honestly, we used to joke when we we're in the car business that we'd look at someone's uh, resume and they'd say, oh, this guy's got 10 years experience. And I'd look at it and I'd say, no, he's got one year's experience 10 times. Because he's been everywhere else. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> and, it, you know, so I, you know, I really want people that have the raw material that we can mold. And over time, they're already A players in terms of their attitude. And, and they, want, they want more responsibility. And, you know, they really want to do a great job. But they maybe haven't got the experience. So we, we just mentor them. And so I just had last year, my assistant of 25 years, Jean, who'd been through a lot with me and um, she retired. I think it was fair enough because she was just turned 70. And uh, so she retired and was replaced by Katie. And I've got to say, she's been amazing. And again, it's the right, it's the person with the right attitude. Mm -hmm. And it just makes such a difference. It really does. Well, so you, you, you're, I love talking to you because you give me these easy segues. You just said you, you just mentor them. Like they've got the right raw materials, maybe not the experience. So you mentor them. And you've also talked about your mentor, Frank. Tell me about, tell me about Frank. How, why, how did he come to be your mentor? Uh, well, I didn't know much at 28, but I did know that I couldn't turn this business around by myself. It was losing three and a half million dollars a year. It had a bank overdraft of five million dollars. It was just in a mess. And so I, it was pretty obvious to me from meetings with our bank and with our manufacturers that I lacked the experience, but also lacked the credibility with them to get the job done. And so I I managed to persuade the bank to give us six months to pay down the overdraft because they were ready to uh, pull the plug. And, um, and then I went and found someone and I was lucky enough to, I, I interviewed a, a bunch of people, but I was lucky enough to find Frank and he, he was pretty unusual. Ex-Special Forces with a fine arts degree. Oh my gosh. Unusual <laughs> combination. Now when I'm speaking, I say he was the sort of guy that could paint you a pretty nice picture, but if you didn't like it, you knew he could kill you. But, but he, he was amazing and he had an, a track record of doing business turnarounds and he'd also uh, worked at a quite high level in the same industry, in the auto industry. Um, and it, so although I was employing him and we shared a small office together, you know, he really became my mentor because he was like late 50s, early 60s. I was 28. Mm -hmm. 
and um, he's just amazing. And I learned a lot from him. Um, but I've always actually sought out good mentors in my property business. I've got guys in his seventies who's phenomenal. I've just been on the phone to him actually. And, um, you know, I've always recognized the importance of experience and surrounding yourself with people that have been there and seen it before, particularly in times like this, where they've been through downturns before and they, you know, they know what to do. And, and, um, you know, the crazy thing is I'm finding myself and people asking me for advice now. I'm like, wow, am I 50 already? How did that happen? You are the adult. <laughs> I know. I know. I, yeah. I don't always act like the adult, but yeah. <laughs> So can you explain to me, like in your words, how would you, if you would, differentiate a coach from a mentor or do you consider them both to be the same? That's a really good question. I think, um, I think for me, I've always kind of looked at a long-term relationship with people that I know can mold me to be what I want to be and I almost see coaching as a little more tactical mm -hmm. and and mentoring as maybe you know trying to get that person to grow to their full potential mm -hmm. and so whether it was when I was in the car business or um, now in the real estate business commercial real estate but I also have great coach on my speaking business and you know, they're constantly working with me to make me better. And I've always, whether it's my health and fitness or whether it's my professional career, I've always been prepared to invest in getting the right help to make me better. And I mean, you, you introduced me to my boxing coach. I'm not sure if I should thank you for that or not, because that's the hardest workout I've ever done. I know. I knew you would love it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I do that once a week and then I train with a trainer um, at a gym near my home uh, twice a week doing resistance training. And then I tend to do my own thing in terms of sort of cardio. But uh, so that's three times a week that I'm training with someone and, you know, it's an investment, but it's an investment in my health. And it means that when I'm on the road, which is quite a lot, I have an app. I use the Trainerize app and I have various different workouts on there and, and I make sure that I get that workout in. It's a priority for me and they can see whether I'm doing it as well. <laughs> so, so that sort of accountability and also you know, because I find that if I just work out by myself, then I just do the same things and I do the things I like to do. I don't necessarily do the things I need to do. And wow. um, so I know we're sort of segueing into health and fitness, but I've, you know, I've always invested in that and it's, it's paid dividends. Yeah. Because I'm sure, I mean, there's 50 and then there's 50. Right. You know, well, I'm sure you look around a boardroom and everyone's the same age, but you're feeling a lot better, I'm sure, than 90% of those guys. Well, I went to my school reunion, my 25-year school reunion, and it was shocking to me how uh, the state that some of these guys that I used to play rugby with were, were in now, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's just about self-care, really. Yeah. And so uh, if you look at my morning routine, that's self-care from a sort of mental point of view as well, really. 100%. Well, there's so much to love out that this part that I love because I, I preach about coaches. Like 
I have several coaches myself, business coach, personal trainer, a nutrition coach, because we can't, we can't do it alone. Why would I want to? There is so much value in having mentors and coaches. Um, can you tell me before we switch gears, what are some of the biggest lessons that, that you've learned from Frank? Or should we just read the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a quick read. Um, uh, biggest lessons I've learned from, I'd learned from Frank. I think, um, you know, taking action. I think sometimes, particularly as a business owner, you can have uh, paralysis by analysis where you're like constantly looking at a business plan or, different options and you keep reworking it and you just get stuck and you can't decide which way to go. And, and a lot of times any decision is better than no decision. And, um, you know, it's, it's about momentum. And, and when we were in a turnaround, I think this is going to apply to a lot of businesses coming out of this terrible pandemic we're in at the moment is you, you need to create momentum in your business. And I remember when I first hired Frank, I said to him on day one, so what's the plan? And he said to me, we're going to make decisions every day. We're going to try to get more right than we get wrong. And we're going to implement those decisions. And I was like, what? Is that it? Is that what I'm paying him all this money for? But he was right because you know, we didn't get everything right. We made some mistakes, but then you sort of course correct and just keep going. But we picked up the pace. So what happened was some people who were like B or C players just left because they couldn't cope with it. And then it attracted more A players who found it exciting and invigorating that we were like really going for it. And, and so I, I found that was a massive lesson actually. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it does help you find the right players because like you said, the B and the Cs, they, they can't keep up you know, as like new startups or people who like me who have new businesses, you got to make, you got to move fast. Like I started working with a writing coach too, and he wants to have a little bit more plan. And I'm like, we can have a plan for the week or the month, but I can't look that far forward in the future. I, I'm yeah. Well, and I think I do quite a lot of writing, you know, I've written a few books and working on another book and, and I write for different publications and I've found that done is better than perfect. Amen. Because I, you know, I could keep correcting the same article for weeks and it's never, it's never going to be perfect. Like if I looked at it tomorrow, I'd want to change it again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've just found that over time, it's, it's a case of just getting on with it and getting it done. Yeah. Not, not keep correcting stuff. That's so great. Oh my gosh. I love this. So, um, God, what are, what are my next question want to be? talked about you having your coach and the accountability part of it. Um, is there anything since you brought up, like, you know, you'd make mistakes. What are, what are some of the lessons that you had learned? <laughs> How oh, much cool. time do we have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've made a lot of mistakes and you know, I, um, I did a talk on this once called my three big, I've, I've done it a few times called my three biggest mistakes and what I learned from them and I think it's um it's interesting because when you stop and think about it you learn a lot through your mistakes and, and I know you know people say that but I think when you really think about it um so I I remember I remember firing someone and 
you know, I, I, I never liked doing that anyway. Um, but I fired this guy and it was a complete shock to him. Mm. And his performance wasn't acceptable. And, but I remember after firing him thinking that was awful because I didn't give him the guidance and the time to at least try and improve, you know, and it should never be a shock. If you have to, you know, get rid of someone, uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to them, really. They should see it coming and you should give them the, the at least give them the opportunity to improve mm-hmm. and, and give them the counselling and the, the advice and to point them in the right direction. And I remember that made a big impact on me because I just saw the look in his eyes and thought, oh no, he had no idea. And I felt terrible. And I was young and I was moving at a fast pace. So I was making lots of mistakes, but that one stuck with me because I thought I don't ever want that look again. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to know if I ask to see them that, that this is probably they're leaving for a reason. Yeah. I, um, have you read the book, um, extreme ownership? No. One of the, that was one of the big takeaways I took from that book. It's called extreme ownership. I think it's by Brant Cardone and, um, you own everything. If an employee is not showing up the way you want them to, that's like, that's my fault. Cause I haven't given them clear direction and expectations. And I was like, Oh yeah, I can totally see that. And you just own everything. That's yeah. I said cool. to my, I said to Gene after I fired that guy, I said that wasn't, that was a failure of leadership. That's what that was. That was down to me. Oh. And, uh, and it was the worst feeling. So that, that was one that sticks with me really. Did you make that mistake more than once? I didn't actually. No, no, because it felt so horrible that I I always made sure that people knew where they stood. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, speaking of books, like, do you have any books that you're like, oh my gosh, Kylie, you have to read this book as it pertains to business or motivation? Those are my two favorite things. Yeah, I, I mean, I read quite a lot. So there's all sorts of things that come to mind, but I, um, uh, I, I read recently a book called Legacy, which is about the New Zealand All Blacks um, rugby team and how they changed their culture because they were always the best team in the world between World Cups, but then they'd always lose the World Cup, which was every four years, and and it was a cultural thing, and they. It is how they transformed that and then won back-to-back World Cups uh, by changing their culture and, and why they were doing this. And they, I think by um, win-loss ratio, they're one of the most successful professional teams on the planet. So that, and for me, speaking about succession planning, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed that. It's a really, it's a good read. If you like sports, it's very interesting. But uh, one of my favorite business books or or sort of um develop self-development books is is a classic really which is the Stephen Covey you know seven habits and and the reason I like that is because I think those principles are sort of timeless um and he, he talks about all sorts of things in there that I think stand the test of time really well um it's not something that is gonna date I mean it's been around a long time that book and I first read it when I was probably in my mid-twenties. And I remember it made a big impact on me. So did you start working for your family's business right after? 
No, I went, I went to a university in uh, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, and I tell people that's because I decided I needed to learn a foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> so, because uh, it's pretty different to where I'm from in the southwest of England. And then, um, but it was, that was great fun. And then, and I played rugby up there, which was great. And then I got a job with Ford Motor Company in the US. And I worked with uh, a number of different dealers, uh, one in Fairfax, Virginia, one in Broomfield, Colorado, which is uh, where I was working there and I met my wife. <laughs> so so that, was, uh, that was a good investment because we've been married 24 years now. Um, and yeah, and that, that, was, that was actually great experience because one of the best things about that is I got to see what success looked like. Yeah. Like I worked at two of the best Ford dealerships in the US. And so I knew immediately when I came back to join my family's business, um, which I did when I got a phone call from my mother to say that my father was going into hospital to have his leg amputated. So, you know, I knew it was time to, time to go home and, and get involved and, um, I knew straight away when I walked in that things weren't right. I didn't have to look at the financials mm -hmm. and you could just tell body language, the way things were operating, just the, the way customers were being dealt with. It, it just was all wrong. And um, so I, although I was only working over here at that time for 18 months, that was valuable because it, it, at least it gave me a, a picture of what success looks like. And I, I knew I had to change quite a lot. So I have two more questions for you. Speaking of success, what, what is your definition of success? What does success look like for you in your life? I think freedom, really, freedom of choice. And um, you know, I always felt when I was operating the car dealerships that it was never really, even though we turned it around and we got it making money and we added in new franchises and that was all great, I learned a lot through the experience, but I never loved the fact that it, I never felt it was my business because I always had the franchise or the manufacturer making decisions that I had to abide by. And so they were always like big brother. Yeah. And so I remember when we started the commercial real estate pro property business, it was the first time I felt like I had my own business because you know, if I made a mistake, I just had to look in the mirror and think, well, that was a bad call. And, and it's the same, it's what I love about my speaking and consulting as well. I mean, my wife works with me and then I have a virtual assistant for the speaking stuff. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there's no one else to blame. If I don't do a good job, you know, it's down to me. And, but I love the fact that I'm in control of my own calendar. And, and I can pick and choose because it allows me to make time for the other things that are important in my life. And, um, you know, we've talked about the health and fitness side of it, but my family and, you know, I've said this to you before, but a lot of people say oh, family is really important to me. But I, I had a, a mentor from years ago who said to me, if you want to see what's really important to people, look at their, their calendar and their checkbook because it's where they spend their time and where they spend their money. That's what's really important to them. Um, and so for me, I've got a son at, at college in, in California. I've got a daughter that's about to go to college. And, 
you know, having time to really spend with them when they're home and do go skiing with them or just whatever we're doing, just to be with them and go and visit them, you know, that's, that's super important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so my definition, definition of success would be the freedom of choice, really, that I feel like it's taken me a while, but I've earned it over the years. I've put myself in a position now where, you know, I have um, passive income from sources that means I don't, if I don't want to go to speak in Nebraska, I don't have to, you know. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Um, then my final question is... Apologies to anyone listening who's in Nebraska. <laughs> no, you, have you heard their new state motto? I'm from no. Nebraska, so it's totally fine. Oh, okay. I was born there. Their new state motto is Nebraska. It's not for everyone. <laughs> and that's for real. Brilliant. And it's a real state motto. <laughs> and I appreciate oh. the upfrontness of that. That is great. So how, you know, speaking of something that I personally um, want to get into, how, how does one, how do you go about that? How does somebody get into speaking? Do you have to write a book first? What's this look like? Well, I think you have to have something to speak about in terms of life experience. Um, You have to be qualified to speak um, on something, which uh, I know from a health and fitness point of view, you definitely uh, are qualified to speak, Kylie. (laughs) so um but for me I was asked to speak at a family business conference when I was here on my sabbatical and my sabbatical I thought was only here for a year consisted of teaching skiing at Loveland and uh taking going to everything at my kids middle school and that was it I didn't really have a lot going on and so I got asked by someone I met skiing who was putting on this conference would you be a keynote speaker at this family business thing and I said oh yeah I could probably do that and so although I used to speak to my employee meetings which was you know nearly 400 people there was typically very short and also it was considered rude to leave the room because I was paying their wages (laughs) so I was aware that these people didn't weren't under that pressure so I better be decent and so I joined uh, Cherry Creek Toastmasters to get some practice and and through that developed some good stories and I think more importantly developed the skill of being able to adjust the story for time because you're given a specific time that you have to speak for and you have to get it into that time mm-hmm. and so that's a really good skill to have and then and then I spoke for free a lot. I spoke to, um, you know, Rotary and uh, all sorts of service clubs and then uh, Chambers of Commerce. And, and then I joined the National Speakers Association, um, which was great. And, and I did their, um, they have a Speakers Academy that I did that was amazing. Uh, and I came out of that thinking, wow, I, you know, I could really do this. And I realized that there were certainly family businesses out there, but also a lot of, you know, just privately held businesses where my experience could really help them. Mm -hmm. And, and that was pretty motivating. And so, so that's kind of how it started really. Yeah. And then it's just practice. It's a case of practice. And then I think you, you know, you, you pick your, your sort of niche or niche as you'd say here. 
and uh, and so I went from speaking on general leadership stuff to to focusing more on succession planning, which is kind of my thing now. Um, so so yeah, and I enjoy it. I do enough that I really enjoy it, and but not so much that I'm on the road the whole time because that's that's why I say thirty times a year I do not want to speak any more than that. Yeah. Um, because I, I'd rather be in Colorado. Right. <laughs> With family. <laughs> well, when your family. Yeah. Oh, I love it. See, and that's what I, my hope for this podcast is like to people are either examples or warnings. That's something that I heard a long time ago. And I want to bring examples of people that I think are doing a lot of great things. And you're one of them. And just a real quick short story as I wrap up. Um, speaking of mentors, you three years ago, like, I, I reached out to Richard. I had a question about something that I should do, a coaching certification. And you took the time not only to answer my question, but you, we had a phone conversation. And to me, that just like blew me away. Like your generosity of your time, it just, it meant the world to me. So thank you, Richard. No, I really no you're welcome. Yeah. So thanks, you guys. I will put a lot of the things that Richard talked about in the, in the, the notes section of the podcast. And Richard, I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, Carly. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you again for tuning in today. For more on Richard, check the show notes for a link to his website. If you guys have any suggestions on guests you would like me to have on, please reach out to me. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.